Hello and welcome to episode number 324 of the Armin Show podcast, where we have been booming, growing, learning more creativity, economics, science, human behavior, understanding more about the world and connecting with people. And we just had our second panel. That was cool. Multiple guests is a great thing. This one, we go into the category of leadership. There's a book that has come out called Inclusify. The author of that book is my guest today, Dr. Stephanie K. Johnson. For some backstory here, Associate Professor of Organizational Leadership and Information Analytics at University of Colorado Boulder, Leeds School of Business. I've not spoken with anybody, I think, in Colorado in recent time. And is a fellow of the Society of Industrial Organizational Psychologists, American Psychological Society, many journal articles, 60 in Journal of Applied Psychology and Academy of Management Journal, and the author of Inclusify, The Power of Uniqueness and Belonging to Build Innovative Teams. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. You should have more people from Colorado. It's a great place. This is true. Actually, if we can begin with that, because I don't connect much with Colorado, and I like to connect with the world indirectly in some ways. Tell us about Colorado, why you're there, what you like about it, and if you've been there for a while, what's happened in the last few years? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm originally from California, so I, I have, I think, a preference for the West in the United States, but the real reason I'm there is just for work. So the University of Colorado is an amazing institution, um, and I think I've been there for ooh, 15 years, nice. um, and in that time, like, have really grown to love the positive like people are really upbeat and happy and outdoorsy and like very, very healthy. Um, all things that I think are good. And uh, where I live is just in Boulder. Um, there's like, you can walk everywhere. You can ride your bike. I think all that's really nice. And it has changed a ton in 15 years. So How's it I think just a lot more people are moving there from other places. So maybe I shouldn't sell Colorado too hard because we have a lot of people moving in. And uh, it's making it a little more crowded. Everybody who's listening, relocate to Colorado. That relocate. is a tip. Yeah, especially people from California. And <laughs> um, there's a lot of Californians. That makes sense. Anybody from California who hears this and has not get, yet gone to Colorado, that's the place you have to go. It's required by law now. If you haven't come, why not? What are you doing? That's true. Outdoorsy is a thing. And there's a lot of large mountains there, if I recall correctly. And... People are going up them and then down afterwards. That is quite true. Usually, you hope. Yeah. Sometimes they go up and then side to another mountain and then down that one. So there's multiple <laughs> options here. That's cool. And Colorado and University of Colorado Boulder, was there any special elements of that university that geared you towards there that you picked over some other location or their special? Yeah. No, I mean, they're all, Colorado has a, a myriad of wonderful higher education institutions. The University of Colorado Boulder is actually the third university I've worked at in Colorado. So I think they're all brilliant in their own different ways. Um, I don't know, you know, I think University of Colorado Boulder is probably the school that people are most likely to come into from out of state. Mm. Um, the other schools, like a lot of people from Colorado go to, but I think we have most out of state students. Um, cause it is so beautiful. Like if you Google it, uh, the pictures are breathtaking and that's just how it looks. I think it's way more 
breathtaking in person. That makes sense. I will be Googling it. I Google a lot of stuff. It's good to keep track of everything or check things. Google Earth, Google Maps, videos on YouTube. You can go places almost indirectly. And then when you go there. And you kind of need to because traveling's hard. Valid point for that. Transportation. That's a different segment. I have had no episodes on specifically transportation. But one day in the future, I'll just be talking about transportation. That's pretty good. (laughs) Now, into the category of leadership and what you have written about. Leadership is is an important one to me. People who speak in public, people who lead groups, organizations are the ones that guide everything. And then everything else follows that the way I see it. So why is leadership important to you? Do you have leadership qualities that you have always felt or have you gravitated towards individuals who have those qualities? Yeah, those are, I mean, all great questions. So I totally agree with you that leadership is kind of everything. Maybe I've, maybe I've always kind of felt that way. I went to college to study leadership, which is weird, I think, but um, I chose a college that had a specific focus on leadership. It's Claremont McKenna College, and they have the Henry Kravis Leadership Institute there. And I did a, they call it a certificate, but it's like a minor in leadership. And I did a senior thesis on leadership and then did a PhD and a master's on leadership. So I think it's always something that has been important to me, but I will say that in the last two years, I think everyone sees how important leadership is. I think there's, you know, people who love leadership and then lots of really smart people who rightly say, we kind of over attribute things to leaders. If a company succeeds, since I'm a business professor, if a company succeeds, you say, it's the leader. If a company fails, you think it's the leader. Oftentimes it's the market or a disruptor or something else that technology, you know, changes in customer preferences. And granted, leaders can, you know, stay ahead of the curve and keep up with those things. But I think you can see in this last two years, it's just the dramatic world events that leadership has had a huge impact on, you know, from a government perspective and how people's health and safety. Um, whether you're talking about governors or presidents or prime ministers or whatever, leadership really matters there. But then even in companies' responses, um, there's been just very vast differences in how some organizations have weathered this storm and um, how others have managed to find a way to still be successful when I think it's been like a very traumatic couple of years. And then for traits, you know, I think that um, for me, like the, one of the biggest traits that leaders need to have is empathy. And I think, again, like, I think we've seen that a lot in the last couple of years, like people are dealing with a lot. It's just like a lot of stuff going on and having a leader who cares about you as a person and can understand your experiences is invaluable. Um, and I think that's a trait. I don't think of myself as like, you know, the perfect, great leader running Fortune 500 companies. I'm like, I'm a professor, right? Uh, But that's definitely a skill that I I have a ton of empathy. That's an important one. Behind the scenes, Stephanie is a CEO running Fortune 500 companies. Yeah, secretly, no one knows about it. Nobody knows. (laughs) We can't get that out there. Empathy, you mentioned there, is a big one. I noticed that Whatever category you're in now versus 10 years ago versus 20 years ago, if you don't have a 
huge chunk of empathy, you're knocked out, whether it's even making social media content or relating with the group in a company. If you don't have a sense of people's well-being and you communicate about that regularly, you, you get knocked out in 2021 because you look like a robotic, whereas in like 2005, it seems like that would have been more applicable than the current time. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think it's a, a trait that's becoming more important. I think we see generational differences in our expectations for leaders. Um, there was a study done on the gendered role of leaders. It, it hasn't, it wasn't me, but it was a brilliant study. Um, I think it was in the journal PNAS. And they looked at how expectations for leaders have changed using a national survey that goes out every five years. And it was a span of over like 50 years, maybe more, maybe 70 years that they've looked at changes. And the expectation has become much more that leaders are someone who, you know, cares about you, shows concern, develops you, not just the command and control, like kind of um, monitoring leader, micromanaging, I'm going to make sure you do your job or I'll fire you. Um, I think, like, I don't know why anyone ever wanted that, but today's generation and maybe even, you know, millennials and Gen Zers are just like pretty unwilling to accept that as a leader. Like they don't want that in their leaders and they're not willing to work for leaders who are that way. On the topic of leaders, this is the challenge question, but if you had to put a percent, what percent of a company or organization's results go to how much the leader is guiding it versus what percent goes to what the market would have done anyway, regardless of who was in charge? That's a good question. I don't know. I think if you just looked at it across time, I think it's probably small. So I'll say 5%, oh. very small. Mm -hmm. um, but there's important events where big decisions really matter. And so, you know, like we don't have a global pandemic every year. Darn um, it. But but we, this is an opportunity for leaders to really make a difference, right? Like the leader might, might've gone through a few CEOs or then a few governors, maybe a lot of them haven't done remarkable changes. I think things kind of stay the same, but then when you see a massive disruption in world events like this, that's when the leadership really matters. And so maybe it's having the right leader in place for when those events occur is so important. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's more, I'm sure there's a study that quantifies it and it probably depends what outcome you're talking about, right? Is it profits or is it, I think leaders can have a huge impact on things like your environmental impact of the company, how inclusive, you know, that's what my uh, research is focused on diversity and inclusion. Leaders can have a big impact on that. Um, and maybe there's that impacts profitability down the way, but immediately I think the market drives a lot of profit right that's true it's like a big ocean and uh, the wave going and there's only so much that can be done there and then each leader um they're kind of it's like punctuated equilibrium there's these key points where things occur and then there's where you want to have a strong force to uh, ground your group but then in most time they don't do so much which is fair Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? What would I you estimate that? I like the return to myself. I, that's wonderful. Shout out to Stephanie Johnson, including 
Armin, that's wonderful. I would say that, right, it seems like in those key points that you would want somebody to guide things, uh, give it a grounding force and manage it. And then most of the time, there's not so many shocking decisions that need to be made. So then it's calm and then it's market driven. It seems like that. It seems like that. And then really bad mistakes too. So maybe it's more because like if you look at these like corporate scandals where CEOs and others do really, really bad things, then you can really hurt stock prices. And so maybe, maybe it's more. I need to look it up. I'm going to post it in the comments later. <laughs> That's cool. Now, this is a good application here because you just included me in the, the uh, uh, thinking about that question, which is inclusion which is related to Inclusify, which is the name of your book. I want to discuss what we want to include. Why is that valuable? What do we gain from including different individuals or personality types? What can we get? Oh, yeah. I mean, all, all the things. You get all the things. So, you know, I think different perspectives matter. Like, you can ask a simple question, like, what's the impact of leaders? Well, that's not simple, but... A, straightforward question, but people might interpret that question in different ways. And so, you know, if you had an, an environmentalist in the room, they might say, oh, it's, what about the environmental impact? If you have someone who's a finance person, they're going to tell you about the dollars and cents. Um, people of different genders and races, persons with disabilities, like we're all bringing different perspectives with us. That's diversity, right? If you just count them. But if people are willing and able to speak freely and contribute ideas, that's inclusion. And so we see when, when leaders are more inclusive or when spaces are more inclusive, that you get more ideas on the table, greater creativity, better innovation, improved performance, higher engagement, um, all of, I think, a lot of good things that at least in correlational studies have shown to have positive impacts on bottom line outcomes, such that um, at least one study showed that inclusive companies outperform others at a rate of eight to one. That's that's not small, nope. right? That's a big difference. Um, so I think it's an, a super important topic and one that I think has become even more important in the last two years than it ever, than it was before, or it's probably equally important, but people are recognizing the real value and in inclusion and how we've kind of fallen short. Makes sense. Now, in this category, I always go more towards personality in general. And so do organizations look at having different types of personalities in their location? Is that so key to have uh, maybe a go-getter versus a more thoughtful person versus abstract versus different kinds of thinkers? How has that been applied in organizations? How can it be applied? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, that's part of it, right? Having the diversity of, of personality. Um, if you're thinking about introverts and extroverts, if it's kind of what you're referring to, there's benefits of both, right? Like extroverts are great. They think out loud. Um, they can do a good presentation. If you have a bunch of extroverts talking out loud in a room, you're going to get a very different outcome than if you have those more quiet thinkers who are going to approach it from a really different way. Um, I think also neurodiversity, having that um, like different cognitive structures that people bring to the table is hugely important for the same reasons. If you're going to process information differently. 
those things are hard to capture. I mean, I guess personality you can measure on a personality questionnaire. Um, but I would say I, you know, I work with a lot of organizations and I don't know any organizations that use personality questionnaires in a way to assemble teams. Then instead you use it for, you know, we're hiring managers. Our managers tend to have a profile like this. And so we hire more people like that, right? Like we want people who are conscientious. Um, but it's, you know, kind of an interesting thought of um, hiring people to assemble a diverse set of personalities, which is done in experimental research and shows you get better outcomes, you know, improved decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some consulting firms that do this. Um, the Medici Group, it's a, a boutique consulting firm based on this a, a book, a New York Times bestselling book called The Medici Effect. And it's like, if you bring together these different perspectives, you can get um, improved outcomes. And they, they kind of do that. I don't know exactly their magic secret sauce of how they put teams together, but that's what they do. They assemble these task forces of people with different viewpoints and they get these amazing outcomes for companies. Hmm. That's cool that it's applied in some way. Now, in your research articles, what subcategories do you look at the most in your analysis? Yeah, so for diversity, I mean, I am have predominantly done research on gender differences in how we view leaders in you know, how leaders can effectively lead men and women. Um, I would say mostly because there's the most data. Like if you're looking at company corporate data, there's often gender diversity. Like you can, maybe you don't have 50% women CEOs, but um, you have maybe 50% women employees, right? And so it's allowed some pretty rigorous, robust analyses. Um, Second, most common is, for me, is I'm super interested in race and then very passionate about the intersection of those two things, race and gender. So how we, you know, how we view uh, Black female leaders or uh, I'm Hispanic, so Latina female leaders. Um, But I haven't done any robust analyses on that because I just don't have the data. It's a, it's, I can find things, right? But it's, I'm not sure it would hold up to replication if there's really small samples, if you're looking at a company and you wanna look at you know, exactly what leaders should do to engage Asian male employees. Like it's, it's quite difficult to, to find those things, but I would say those predominantly race and gender. Hmm. Yeah, that is very specific. In the last few years, who are some comp- or what are some companies or organizations that are applying this kind of understanding and are getting benefits from it by including people that maybe they wouldn't have included 20 years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think all of a lot of companies are trying to do this. I mean, most organizations will say they're doing this. If you um, follow like the Fortune 500 or S&P 500, following the murder of George Floyd, you know, more than half of the Fortune 500 company CEOs said a public statement around um, diversity or at least violence, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, against black and African-American people in the United States. And many of many of those um, had also included like concrete commitments to what they wanna do to promote racial justice. So I think 
it's a lot. Like I hopefully more companies are um, leaning into this, but employees are demanding it. And so more and more doing it. The one, the companies that I profile and inclusify. So part of that work is I went out and interviewed Fortune 500 CEOs of some of the best companies. Um, of course, you know, CEOs like myself, of course. <laughs> um, and so I can definitely tell you like people who really blew me away. Um, Kevin Johnson, the CEO of Starbucks, amazing, amazing leader has done a ton of work on that corporate board um, to increase diversity, you know, get different perspectives. And then throughout the organization, I think just everything they do has that inclusion mindset. Um, PayPal, uh, Dan Schulman is the CEO, has done a ton uh, with specifically that, you know, the organization focuses on uniqueness and belonging, which is the same approach that I take in Inclusify. Um, I would like to say that he kind of stole my idea, except he didn't. <laughs> he had this idea before, but it's, um, these are like the two most basic and essential human needs. And Shulman really recognizes that um, in terms of how they bring employees together. So they're celebrating the uniqueness that people bring, but also ensuring that people have a place they can belong, just even though they're different, or maybe because they're different, right? They can all belong. And that's, again, very aligned with their business strategy of trying to um, democratize banking, essentially, right? So anyone can use PayPal. You don't have to have a bank account or a credit card or like you can, it's making it easier for, for anyone to use. So they should apply that internally as well, right? And have an organization that celebrates anyone and everyone as employees. Um, Salesforce, and I can go on forever, but Mark Benioff, I think is probably the first leader that I met that I was like, this is what every corporate CEO should be. Like if only every corporate CEO were like this, just his perspective and willingness to take risks for the betterment of his company and his employees and like respond to what the employees want. That's like huge. So I'm gonna stop just because I only, I said three. And then actually I'm gonna do one more because um, uh-huh. I named three white men, which is like, easy to do when you're rattling off CEOs, but uh, I'm going to give you a fourth because um, Mary Barra, the CEO of GM is also like phenomenal, has done amazing things for that organization, fully creates an environment of diversity and inclusion in an extremely masculine industry, like in the automotive industry. um, That is, I think, pretty unparalleled if you look at other car companies. Um, So it's still not equitable. One woman and three men. That's fair. And I like the concept of including, I've noticed that the last, let's say decade a lot, but no matter what, somebody that only reads through Braille or somebody that only visually takes in a certain kind of light or basically every kind of person that has every variation of how they experience the world, there's more of like, hey, we see you as well. Whereas let's say 40 years ago, it might've been like, all right, well, we don't have a audio sensor for that or something. There's not, we don't have that. So best of luck. But now there's more of listening to all the different kinds of individuals who were there the whole time. It's almost like one day we'll be able to talk to um, even other organisms and realize that they were talking to us the whole time in some way as well. <laughs> it's like, a, Maybe so. I mean, that should always be the case because there's, you know, federal law, the Americans with Disabilities Act that, tries to protect 
um, employees with disabilities to ensure that they can do their work you know, effectively by providing um, opportunities to allow them to do their work. But I think it has become more common, like even for things that aren't companies helping their employees, but just for like, you know, the, um, we're using Zoom. So the transcription feature on Zoom. And one of the things I think is so amazing is some of these, maybe you think like accommodations, like an accommodation for people who have an auditory disability. But in fact, we all really benefit from it because I use the transcription all the time. If I have to like reduce the volume on my screen or some people just learn better or understand things more easily when they're reading it than when they're listening. So I think it's, you're right. I agree with you. It's added everybody in there, like on YouTube or TikTok or wherever. Now I have no volume on and boom, it's still readable. And some people just want to read. They didn't really want to listen in the first place, I guess. That's right. I I do that on my, on my random scrolling when I'm looking at stuff on those, the YouTube or whatever. Um, I, re- I do read everything. I never listen to it. And then I realized there's actually music associated with some of these things that it makes a lot more sense <laughs> when I finally listen. That's true. On that, actually, media, I'm always media oriented because so much of the discussion across the planet at this point is on a few media platforms or whatnot. What do you like to take in? Are there any specific people you gravitate towards for their information? Or what kind of medium mediums do you like to listen to or read from or take in? Yeah, I follow, I mean, I do Instagram. So I read a lot of stuff for like entertainment on Instagram um, and Twitter. I probably spend most of my time on LinkedIn just because they're, I, I follow a bunch of like really great resources for diversity and inclusion. And so those come through more on on LinkedIn. I think you get it on Twitter um, as well, maybe less so on Instagram, but um, the, I think the LinkedIn for like, you know, a business perspective, I think it's so amazing. And they, I think they're keeping up with um, these other types of platforms that have more video and they're doing more video now too, because it's just more engaging, right. For people to listen. I, I, with you, I'm like, I'll just read it, but for, other people, I think it's more useful to have different media and then like maybe multiple, like, isn't it great to be able to watch the video, read the screen, and then maybe follow up later with another source document. Like, I think that's probably the way learning is done most successfully through that. Like you get it through a few different, um, like layers. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. What do you read? Well, obviously you're obviously we all listen to your podcast and some and people watch it as well that's the number one most popular but what else do you look at stephanie's gonna be a regular on the show <laughs> uh, <laughs> classic now i would say boy the questions are great they do, it's not often by the way that says something automatically my mind goes to the fact that uh very few people turn things around and that is a leadership quality that's not common in most individuals so i noticed that because it's like when I used to reach out to certain people, I used to host kind of group events many years ago, I just remembered. And I would go find people, but I was the one leading the way. So nobody else would do that. Once in a while, if somebody else would bring a couple of people, I'd notice they had some percentage of my element as well in oh. them. And then some people, if I left them for 15 years, they would have never done some of that. It wasn't their thing. So whenever I see something like that, I like to point it out because 
I can easily notice uh, differences. In oh, thanks. So that's a great quality. Shout out to Stephanie K. Johnson, everybody. Okay. <laughs> but as far as what I read, well, a lot of um, the content, like nonfiction mostly, and neuroscience or economics or sociology, a lot of human behavior. I'm very interested in people and connection and where we're going in the next, let's say, 20 years or so. Because like 20 years ago, I kind of could see today, basically. And then now I can kind of see 20 years from now. So it's advantageous. And that's where my mind goes to. And then I uh, listen to some podcasts. I like text a lot. So I read a lot of Twitter or wherever there's text or articles. I like, I used to write a blog with many articles. So text was my thing. And then some video. And then I make random clips and whatnot for the younger people because I like to relate with them. I like to relate with all the yeah. different age groupings that exist. So whether it's the youngest, the middle, or the oldest people, it's nice to connect with all the groupings. It's kind of inclusion in a way, sort of include everybody. Later on, I'm going to have to find out what's going to happen in 20 years because I feel like I have no idea <laughs> at this point what the future holds. Turning that one back around, that's actually a good one there. What is your feeling for will everybody have been included 10 years from now will Aww. we have already taken care of that category no they will not be because i don't know that if we continue at the rate we're currently going there's you know scientific estimates of where we'll be and at least the world economic forum estimate says 170 years for gender parity um I think it's it's 230 for racial uh, equality. So I don't think we're going to get there in 10 years, but I I do believe that there's really a dramatic um, shift happening. And you said earlier, punctuated equilibrium. And I think it's kind of like that. I think it's global. It's not just something that's going on in the US, but it's I think it's a different generation. And, you know, I thought, but, I was in a generation, right? And I think all generations are, they're kind of idealistic. That's the stereotype, right? Like they want all the good things. I want True. to protect the environment. I, I want equality. And then as you get older, I don't know, maybe reality sets in, we become more jaded. I don't think that's happening with this current generation of, I guess they're millennials. <laughs> We're including audio too. That's inclusion. I included also phone call. <laughs> um, I think they're. I think they're staying with that idealism, and I think they're demanding increased inclusion. Uh, people ask about it when applying for jobs. Like, what are you doing for diversity and inclusion? And they're not all. You know, it's not just women asking. It's not just people of color, persons with disabilities, or LGBTQ plus community. It's just like people care about it, and in amazing ways and so I, I think there will be increased levels of inclusion I think we're not going to get to equality in 10 years um, but hopefully it'll look really it'll look really different I hope um, we're seeing you know in I, I've been tracking uh, corporate board hires uh, in the fortune 500 over the last year and some um, since the murder of George Floyd because many companies came out and said, um, hey, you know, we're going to do all these things. We're going to increase board diversity. You know, we're going to set 
um, goals for increased diversity. And so I'm like, that's great. I'm going to see if they do it. So I've been tracking it. And, you know, the, the number may not be totally perfect because some people I don't know um, their race, but in since June of 2020 until June of this year, you know, maybe there's bigger, there's more data coming forth. Mm-hmm. Um, there were 140, 141 black board members added to the Fortune 500 boards. The previous five years, June to June of adding all those five years together, it was 145. And so it's like a big, it's a big increase in diversity on corporate boards, right? Like it wasn't moving. It wasn't moving every year is the same. And then this year is like very different. And so, you know, we, I think that means something. We're seeing the same thing with gender. Uh, we saw more probably after the Me Too movement. There's been an uptick in women on corporate boards. And corporate boards are only one thing, but you're talking about the very top of the company. And so that does trickle down to impact the kinds of decisions the company makes or who's included in the company. Um, how they, what their hiring strategy is, what their business strategy is. Do they care about CSR? Like all of those things are linked to the diversity of the board and the executive team, but the board impacts the executive team too. So I think we'll see big changes. I want to, I want to believe it's going to happen, but I also know that it's going to take work. It's not just going to happen. It means we're going to have to do it. There's two concepts you just brought up that I think are important. One of them is the buildup to something sometimes you will write articles for months and months and months and there's no real uh high level engagement and then at some point due to the buildup boom there's a trajectory and then it, it goes off because you had that base in the first place it might look like it just randomly took off but it took those three years or whatnot to build to that and then the other point you brought up there of having numbers and tracking them is kind of like the climate change conference where if they don't have a certain goal and put deadlines in and push it in some way without those elements you can't get nearly anywhere because you have to pin things down in some form are these two key elements of leadership what are some key elements of what a leader brings to the table yeah well at least in this conversation of diversity and inclusion you know i think it's look at your data it's something that you know, business leaders, government leaders, we do it for all financial things. We look at the data. We're going to use, oh, you know, I think um, Dr. Steph said she reads LinkedIn. Maybe we should increase our presence on LinkedIn, right? That's, let's track it. What happens when we do it? What does it cost? What's the ROI? Should we keep doing it? If that works, should we go to Twitter? You know, that's, that's the way people do things. It's just, if you want to make good decisions, there's only one way to know if it's a good decision, right? You look at the data. But when it comes to diversity and inclusion, people don't look at the data. I don't know if they don't want to know, or they're like, I don't know how you measure that. I can tell you how to measure it, but you've got to start with the data. You have to know what you're dealing with, do some benchmarking. What are your aspirational goals, set goals? Here's where we are. Where do we want to be in five years, two years, one year? And then you actually have to have accountability to those goals. And so it's, if some leaders aren't performing when it comes to inclusion, like first of all, you have to measure that. 
And then you need to give them the feedback and opportunity to improve your training or whatever it is they might need. And if they don't, then just like everything else, you're not meeting a performance objective that's going to show up in your um, monetary compensation. A lot of companies do bonuses. They tie executive leaders, um, inclusion outcomes to bonuses. It's easier than to your um, annual salary. But I think when you do those things, when you like look at the data, set goals, have people accountable to those goals, you will see amazingly we can make progress in a pretty short period of time. When you don't do those things, you're not making progress and you really don't know whether you are or not because you don't have any data. That's true. It's like when a company hires a consultant and now that a consultant is like a accountability buddy that was from South Park, I believe, that is checking on what they're doing and it comes back after three months. Have you guys met these metrics? If not, what are we doing? What are we doing out here? I've done that for some people I know as well that wanted to make content and then I kind of checked on them. And then once they got going, I didn't need to be there. But at that early part, you need some sort of outside force because if there was already that force in place, there wouldn't have been some issue in the first place because somebody was already tending to it. So it's like pulling in a, a gravitational force beam in that direction. Absolutely. You said you read a lot of like human behavior, like psychology. And um, I think it's just like basic human psychology, right? We are going to do the things that we are measured on and the things we're rewarded for or not punished for, right? How do you choose where to place your energy? It's like, I'm going to have to place my energy first on the things that show up on my performance evaluation. I'm getting feedback. Like people are tracking my performance. That's where you put your energy. So I think it makes sense. It's just, it's just basic human behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to throw in a random shout out to Robert Sapolsky and his book, Behave, about human behavior. One of the most important ones I read early on. Great guy. Nice. I once did a little text interview with him. Now, what are some items that are inspiring you at this current time uh, related to the field you're studying or bigger picture? Yeah. Um, well, I think this big movement uh, for racial justice and racial equity is inspiring to me because we have a long way to go. And so I'm really interested in continuing to track that and see like what happens. Um, and like, you know, what we can actually do because I'll say, you know, COVID, right? This whole global pandemic happened and all the ways that we used to do things are over. We're doing everything differently now. We're working remotely. We're doing, I don't know if you always did um, remote video podcasts, well, I no early on I did, I had uh, stages by the way. Just I had audio, then I had uh, video, but just people I knew, so it was in person, and then uh, out, out public. So now it's Zoom, so mostly Zoom, but then sometimes still in person. Oh really? Even with COVID, you can still get in person. Uh, occasionally, I had my special one was when I went to Scotland in the summer and did one with chemistry professor there in the university. That was cool, but it's not oh. common. But yeah. if there was somebody in Los Angeles, for example. I would gladly do it in person because that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Nice but things have. are changing, right? Yeah. Like I taught classes via Zoom. I won't say it was great, but like um, 
So that means it's like, there's a lot of problems associated with that. And there's some opportunity associated with that. And a lot of the ways that we used to do things, um, we're not doing it that way anymore. And that means we get to redesign the way we interface with the workplace every day. And when we put it back together this time, I don't know what it's gonna look like. That's why after we stop our conversation, you have to tell me what's gonna happen in 20 years. <laughs> we can actually put it back together in a way that works for everyone. That's more inclusive, that considers the actual demographics of today's workforce. Because when we first designed the workforce, whoever that was who designed it, um, Taylor or something, um, we it wasn't designed for you know dual earner couples, uh, for diverse genders and races. It was like kind of more a lot more homogenous if you think about it. And so it's been difficult to change things for you know parents, for example. Um, there's a lot of work in parents, and I don't think that was as true before. But when we think about how we put the workplace back together, we can make it work for working parents. We can make it work for uh, women. We can make it work for non-binary persons, persons with disabilities, veterans. Like, there's a way to to put the workplace back together that is more inclusive than it was before, and that's what inspires me because it's all jacked up anyway. So why not just make it better? It's funny. My email used to be a long time ago, jacked up at hotmail.com because I thought it was funny. I'm really glad you changed that. I'm not yeah. sure I would have responded to that. <laughs> long, long time ago. That's true. That's a standout. That's funny. And then that one got like uh, messed up. So I had to go jacked up too at hotmail.com. So I had to switch multiple times, but no longer on the hotmail system there. Yeah. Updates for the people who are wondering. That's pretty good. What is one message you would want all people to take away? From the content of your book if you had a megaphone to the planet yeah um you know i think just what i what i said like it's i study leadership and i am that's the thing that enchants me but there's leadership within all of us and all of us have an amazing opportunity to create a more inclusive workplace in a more inclusive world like it's yes the ceo probably decides things like the goals and how we're maybe the CHRO decides how we're going to tie performance to compensation and bonuses and stuff like that. But every day, each of us have the power to help other people feel included. We just have to understand what that means for other people. And that's kind of where Inclusify comes in. It's like, what are the common ways that we don't include people? And what's what are some simple ways to pivot so that we can each be more inclusive? And although my focus is on leadership, I mean, I think that is leadership. If you are actively including someone else, even if you don't have a title or formal role, you're making a change in that person's world and that's leadership. That's a great point. This has been an episode with two leading figures in the industry and one potential CEO. You're not sure. <laughs> I would like to thank Dr. Stephanie K. Johnson, author of Inclusify for joining on this episode of the Armin Show podcast. Thank you so much. And we are out.